Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 164, being recorded on Thursday, February 28th, 2019. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. All right, all right, all right. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. We are joining you live, live, live in the same room, which rarely happens, and we are here in Austin, Texas, at the ICSCOAC conference. That is a mouthful. Very impressive, especially with Matthew McConaughey standing right behind you like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is a conference that, well, you've been here longer than I have. I'll let, I'll let you uh, introduce the conference. Yeah, so I think uh, ICSC is a trade organization uh, for shopping centers. And uh, this particular event is about the open air centers, which is like uh, – uh, strip malls and power centers and uh, lifestyle outdoor malls. So it's a bunch of uh, real estate people from retail companies and a bunch of uh, uh, mall uh, individual property owners that own these these properties that host the malls. These, my sense is, this category of mall tends to be less aggregated than the big regional malls where you you'd name the three big mall operators. Yeah, yeah. So it's a sold out show. Uh, about five hundred folks here in the fair. Fairmont. Um, yeah, and it's pretty interesting. We were here doing a talk. Uh, I don't want to say too much. I think we're going to try to turn it into kind of a visual a video presentation. Um, so we're going to try a new format with that. But we were asked to come give kind of a live version of the show. And we talked about, um, you know, we're always the folks to get to get in front of a bunch of retailers and tell them they're going out of business. So that was exciting. Yeah, I put a bunch of them on a slide that said, you don't want to be here. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, I saw some people storm out. So I think mission achieved. We uh, I think we just killed it. Awesome, <laughs> one way or another, we killed it. Uh, yeah, depending okay. on your, your perspective. Well, I don't know, we probably won't be here next year. <laughs> we have we have a lot of one and dones here with the Jason and Scott Show Roadshow. Exactly, we are the ultimate one hit wonder. Um, but I had fun chatting with you, and in a rare occurrence, we budgeted an hour for the presentation and took exactly an hour. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, if we could just be as good on the podcast, that would, that would be amazing. But we, we nailed it. I like to think that when we go along, we're just making our audience more fit. Yeah. Yeah, we're giving them more content for their, their dollar. No, I so. mean, they have to stay on the exercise bike longer. True. Absolutely. Yes. Do not get off the, the cycle. Well, we're time constrained here because I've got to hop on a plane. Next week, you are in Las Vegas at Shop Talk. I'm super envious. This is uh, I'm going to miss this year's Shop Talk, unfortunately. Yeah, it will not be a, a true Shop Talk without uh, you to be my – my co-pilot, um, but I am looking forward to go. Of course, it's been a uh, a great show the last couple of years. It's sold out this year. It's at the Venetian. Uh, I want to say they had more than 10,000 people last year, so I expect it'll be a, a, a big shindig. And um, I am moderating two panels. So I'm doing a panel on Monday uh, in the afternoon at like 2.50 on uh, selling on marketplaces. So what? That's my topic. I feel like this would have been your panel <laughs> had you gone but they're trying to channel you by uh, inviting me, uh, and so I could have the halo effect. Um, but we have a couple sellers that are uh, uh, that sell on marketplaces. So we have uh, uh, Keen is on on the show, which is a great footwear brand from 
from my old hometown of Portland, Oregon. And then uh, Jordan Bass, uh, I don't know what this guy did wrong in life, but this will be the second time he's been on a panel that I moderated. Mm. Um, and Jordan uh, leads e-commerce at The Wonderful Company. So I, I always like to uh, – Wonderful Company owns uh, Fiji Water, so I like to spend ah. – 30 or 40 minutes talking about the Fiji water girl with him. And then uh, I like to get into the details about how they're able to shell the pistachios and just sell the, the unshelled pistachio or the shelled pistachios. Cool. And you have eBay on, on your panel too, right? I do. And so then in addition to the two sellers, uh, we have Bridget Davies who uh, is the VP of revenue and seller growth at eBay. So we'll uh, get to hear from, from eBay's perspective about how brands and uh, should be thinking of and using, using uh, marketplaces. Cool. And then aside from marketplaces, what are you talking about? Yep. So then on Tuesday, I have a panel um, uh, called Creating a Single View of the Customer. So talking all about uh, kind of aggregating data data to get that 360-degree view of the customer and how you do personalization and data capture and, and all those kinds of things. And so we have uh, uh, three retailers on on this show. We have a, a Charlie Cole, who has been on the podcast. Yeah. Um, so I vaguely remember that show because I think we did it in the middle of a party. Yes. And there may have been some drinking. There was some imbibing. I remember, uh, Charlie is pretty outspoken. So I think he'll, that's going to be a fun panel. I'm going to call, I'm going to call it now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so too. And Charlie, uh, runs e-commerce at Samsonite, which is of course Samsonite, but also, uh, Toomey and, and, uh, eBags. Um, and so then we've got, uh, Steve Miller, who's the SVP of marketing and e-commerce at Joanne stores. Um, and so that, you know, they have an interesting perspective on, on, uh, uh, digital and, and customer capture. So that, that'll be interesting to talk about. And then we have, uh, Greg Fanshare, who's the, the CIO at Express and Express has one of the, the most interesting, uh, long running customer affinity programs in the apparel space. So he'll be an interesting perspective as well. Very cool. And then we are back together uh, here in Austin, actually, April 8th to 9th, where we're going to do another live version of the show for Channel Advisor Connect. Um, so we, we should start thinking about doing those slides when you get from back from Vegas, I guess. Yeah. Do you think um, – will Channel Advisor just pay for us to keep this room at the Fairmont so I could just leave my stuff here? Probably not. This is a, this is a pretty fancy hotel. There is a residence inn, um, so maybe maybe they'll store your bags over there. Awesome. <laughs> I'll get right on that. Cool. Well, it wouldn't be a Jason and Scott show without some Amazon news. Your margin is their opportunity. Cool. So today Amazon uh, announced a new program for brands. Uh, I wanted to kick this one over to you, Jason, because I wanted to get your perspective on it. Uh, tell us about Amazon Project Zero. Finally, I get to be the one to do some Amazon news. I feel like that's always your thing. Yeah. No, I'm, you're, since you're taking over my panels, I'll give you the whole Amazon news thing too. Nice. But I'm going to talk about digital fact tags going forward. <laughs> no. <laughs> Curses. Uh, yeah. So Project Zero is kind of interesting. So uh, this is a new program that Amazon just announced this week, um, and it's a, a program by invite only for select brands, and it apparently gives them uh, – these brands, uh, the ability to flag and take down uh, counterfeit listings. And so, uh, like, th- without any intervention from Amazon or any appeal process, uh, a, a brand that's in the program would have a, a, a self-service tool where they could identify a counterfeit copy of their product and take it down. So, for example, uh, Vera Bradley was mentioned as one of the 
the pilot customer. So they they saw counterfeit handbags on the on the site. They could take them down. Um, and that's the part in the short run that I'm most interested in, and that there's probably the most buzz about. And there's some pros and cons to this this program. But um, this is part of a bigger counterfeit program, anti counterfeit program. Uh, they don't actually have a program encouraging counterfeits. I don't think um, that. Uh, where they're trying to get brands to serialize their product and literally like print a, a unique serialized barcode on every product. And so Amazon's offering that if you go to this expense, when you manufacture your product to put this authentication serial number on each product, that they'll validate those serial numbers when they bring them into uh, the Amazon fulfillment center ecosystem. And so they'll, they'll only allow products with valid serial numbers to come in. So this is a kind of a, a systemic way that Amazon's offering to help brands uh, keep only authentic products on the site. But uh, the reason that's not super interesting in the short run is for a brand to benefit from that, they'd have to be willing to print this. A, a Printing a serial uh, number on a package that's unique for each package is a, a, an incremental expense. Um, mm-hmm. Normally they just offset print the package in huge bulk. And then they have to print it on every single package in the channel. So it wouldn't be just on the set of goods they're sending to Amazon. They'd have to print it on everything they sell at Walmart and Kroger and everywhere else. And so I uh, I have not heard of any adoption for that other than some small test pilots. Interesting. I, if, um, so I've been at this for over 20 years now, and eBay has gone kind of around the horn on this a couple times where – they had this program called Verified Rights Owners. You know, all the slang is Vero, and they they went through a phase where you you could kind of like go and sell Vero, and then the brands way overreached. You know, they would just kind of go knock out any third party seller that was selling stuff um, without you know any kind of way of validating that it was thought, even thought to be counterfeit, uh, and then they had to kind of like swing back and um, and you know. So it's gonna be interesting to see if brands kind of overreach on this and. You know, just because a third party is selling a Louis Vuitton bag doesn't mean it's counterfeit. And, you know, you have to – it gets a little kind of murky, so it'll be interesting to see. I, I do think my uh, my easy prediction is there will be a lot of overreaching going on early on with this. Um, Third-party sellers will go through an outrage phase. GMV will go down in these categories, and Amazon will then kind of have to swing the pendulum back to some middle ground. So we'll, we'll see how that happens for third-party sellers. But I do think it will be a short-term negative for third-party sellers. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of ways to look at this somewhat cynically. Um, so, like, at the moment, uh, most brands would say there's not enough tools to protect the brand on the site, right? Um, and so there's a, a complaint process, but it feels very slow and uh, sort of automated, and things take a long time to percolate, and you don't necessarily ever see any action. Um, and, in fact, and, and even to event, avail yourself of those limited tools – you had to have a formal relationship with Amazon, which in most cases meant you had to be selling product through Amazon. And so, you know, some of the brands that most don't like the counterfeit stuff on Amazon have also made the decision not to sell on Amazon themselves. And since they have no relationship with Amazon, uh, Amazon doesn't make those tools available to them. So some some people would say that some of these brand protection tools, one of their their secondary purposes is to entice brands to to participate on the platform. And so I've, I've heard a lot of people speculate that that's one of the main reasons that Nike, for example, participates on Amazon is to avail themselves of the Amazon brand registry. So this is a more powerful tool. Presumably, uh, as far as we know, you have to be an Amazon uh, 
brand to uh, or selling uh, uh, on the Amazon platform to use it. So that's another enticement to some of those mm-hmm. those holdouts. And you know, per your point, brands are almost certainly going to overreach. Um, lots of brands don't like gray market product, even though that's perfectly legal to sell on the on the site, or they don't like product that doesn't comply with MAP policy, price policy even yeah. though they, they don't really have the right to take that down. So pretty likely as they invite more people in the program, people will overreach. You and I were speculating a little bit. Maybe Amazon even already knows that and doesn't care. Like there's a, uh, a, a, a hypothesis would be um, that Amazon wants to improve some machine learning to improve the automated detection of these counterfeit things. And so the first thing you need is a big data set of uh, site of uh, listings that have been identified as counterfeit. And so one thing you do if you're Amazon, you hire a bunch of people to look at the listings, do the research, figure out which were fake and which one weren't, flag all the ones that are fake, and then you'd feed all that data to a machine learning algorithm, and eventually you'd have a really smart system to identify counterfeits. And if you were Amazon and didn't want to pay all those people to do that work, you could sort of outsource it to the brands by yeah. temporarily giving them the tools to flag stuff themselves, knowing that they would eventually misuse the tools and you'd have a great excuse to take the tools away from them. But in the interim, you have built a good data set you could use to train a machine learning system. Very cool. Another another signal is the product reviews. So uh, I've seen many product reviews, especially in the health and beauty category. It seems to be where I, I see it most, where you know a, a pretty significant number of reviews will say, this is not really from... Brand X, it's it's you know fake, uh, and then so you know that's another interesting signal. So maybe if a brand comes in and then does mark that, then they'll get you know the machine learning can get smarter and know okay yeah most likely these reviewers are right that this is a counterfeit or or if it's not taken down they'll they'll learn the opposite. Yeah, and if you're not a regular seller on Amazon, like you you you'd be shocked how deep all this goes. Like the the fraudsters are super sophisticated now, and the black hat tactics are really evil. So, for example, they're not likely to write a bunch of negative reviews about their, your, their competitive product. They're actually more likely to write positive reviews that they know Amazon will flag as fraudulent about their competitor's product yeah. and trigger takedowns and things that way, knowing that Amazon's very slow and not very good at responding to those complaints about accidental takedowns. Cool. Uh, so also in the news, uh, Walmart had some earnings. So walk us through the highlights there. Yeah, so I think it was overall uh, a good quarter for Amazon. Their same store sale, or I'm sorry, for Walmart, their same store sales were up 4.2 percent, um, and so that's that's not a huge number, but by retail standards, that's a very good number. Again, you know, there's a lot of retailers with same store negative same store sales, um, so 4.2 is reasonably healthy across such a, a big number that they have. And uh, more relevant to our listeners, their e-com was up 43% for the quarter. So that caused them to hit their 40% um, increase for the year, which was their guidance last year. So they basically hit it exactly. Uh, Now they issued new guidance for next year, and they're predicting uh, 35% e-commerce growth. So still a big number, still bigger than Amazon, certainly bigger than, than the industry overall. Um, but but like many e-commerce sites, their rate of growth is is probably decelerating. And as we've talked about on the show, a lot of uh, Walmart's e-commerce growth is really tied to this grocery program they have, right? And so, you know, unlike traditional general merchandise e-commerce where, you know, you, you put the listing up once and it's available to everyone that shops at walmart.com, uh, when you put eggs up for sale in a particular store, 
those eggs are only available to consumers that are shopping within a close geographic proximity of that one store. And so it's e-commerce sales. It's, it's, it's listed as e-commerce, but you almost have to think of it as same store sales. Um, you know, that when they, they add more stores, their, their growth seems really high, but the reality is, is because they went from a store that wasn't selling uh, groceries online to a store that now is. And so if you look at it through that lens, uh, Walmart is a little more than halfway through making grocery even available on all their stores. So they announced that they're at 2,100 stores have online grocery pickup right now. They have 4,000 stores. They've said by next year, they'll have 3,100 stores. So that's about the same amount of growth next year they had this year. So if you were an investor or a speculator, it's, it seems pretty safe that they added 1,000 stores of grocery this year, and that drove this, this big 40% growth number. They're planning on adding another thousand stores next year. If they hit that stores, it's probably going to you know not be that impressive that they achieve thirty five percent growth and they'd have one more year in them. But what you'd be really worried about is how they comp their e commerce sales after that final year when they don't have more more stores to open. Um, and then the other thing that's interesting to me is they also announced that only 800 of the stores do they have home delivery. And you guys have all heard me talk about how I think curbside pickups a bigger deal than home. Obviously, a lot of people do want home, so that only 800 of the 4,000 stores do home. And Walmart has used a variety of uh, internal and external vendors to do home delivery. So they have this thing called Spark Delivery, which is kind of using their own employees to deliver. Um, and they've gone some mixed press on that. It doesn't seem like it's a huge piece of their delivery network. They've partnered with a lot of the third-party delivery firms, uh, to do that delivery. And they're only at 800 stores. They've said they want to double that next year. Uh, Given that they're leveraging partners, you would expect that means they're going to lean into their partners even more. But about a week before their earnings, Delib announced that they were actually stopping their Walmart partnership. Mm. And at first you would assume, oh my gosh, Walmart must have fired them for some reason. Um, But the the word on the street is that Delib actually turned Walmart off because the... Deliv is using uh, gig workers, um, and the workers were so dissatisfied with the deliveries they were getting from Walmart that they started refusing to get them. And the (laughs) the fundamental complaint is, hey, you're a Deliv worker. You take an order to deliver groceries. You go to the store. The order's not ready. You have to wait a long time. You have a bunch of downtime. Uh, As the Deliv drivers talk about it, it's a bad experience for the delivery drivers and a lot of inefficiencies on Walmart's part. Um, and then on average, the customers that are most ordering home delivery are the ones that are furthest away from the Walmart stores, which are like, mm. if you're very far from Walmart store, you're super rural and yeah. it's an expensive long delivery thing. So it, it sounds like there's still some, some optimizations and improvements um, for uh, to get, home delivery nailed at Walmart, but it seems like the curbside pickup is going quite smooth. Um, And then I guess the last big talking point is, despite the fact that e-commerce is growing huge, it's a significant contributor to that top line growth, it's not a contributor to profitability. And in fact, Walmart talks about uh, having a loss on their entire e-commerce business. And uh, given that they've promised to make $10 billion in, in incremental CapEx expenditures between now and 2020, they've actually said you can expect those losses to increase and potentially accelerate. And so they've talked about like in strategically, one of the huge things Walmart needs to make progress on that they haven't is uh, 
getting profitability on that e-commerce sales. Cool. Has um, any Wall Street analysts kind of picked apart the the growth to see how much is incremental and how much is just kind of moving from the offline to the online kind of part of the ledger? Not <laughs> that I have seen. And I like to be honest, I haven't even seen – like you would think at the very least people would sort of back into a same-store sales yeah. number. And I, I haven't seen that yet. Now, you – you get a lot more of the investor communications than I do. For some reason, there's some, I don't know. Yeah. People perceive that you're like smarter and more economically successful. But we'll get, we'll get some of our interns on this for yeah. maybe a future episode. Uh, also this morning, JC Penney announced their earnings. And I, I thought there's a couple interesting things there. The, the stock surged and I was like, Oh, they must be out of trouble. Um, but really it turns out to be one of these less worse than folks thought. Um, so revenue was only down 8.4% year over year. I think there was concern out there as we've heard this kind of continuing drumbeat of the back end of Q4 was slow. Uh, we've had more bankruptcies. We've got payless shoes is kind of, have they filed or they're tottering on, on the brink of filing? Um, so a lot of people are really concerned about JCPenney. Um, so this ended up being kind of a, you know, uh, oddly a positive in that it wasn't as bad as people had kind of imagined. Um, same store sales um, uh, into 19 were only down 4% versus perceived 43 um, so that's like an eight-point swing compared to Walmart, which is pretty interesting. Um, they have a new CEO. I won't even try to say her last name. Do you know how to say it? Jill Soltow? Well, I will try. Soltow. Um, and uh, so uh, she made two announcements that were interesting. Um, and there, there's this other weird thing that happens in retail now. When you announce store closures, your stock pops because everyone's like, yay, we're closing stores. But obviously you can't like uh, – you know the. <laughs> the end game there is 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 uh, that trend line doesn't, not going to work. Doesn't go forever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she announced they're going to close eighteen of the main stores and nine of their home and furniture footprint. Uh, and then uh, she declined to give twenty nineteen guidance, and then said, you know, pretty much telegraphed, expect a lot more store closures. So you know, kind of said something to the effect of we're evaluating all the stores, there's no sacred cows, and all that kind of new CEO stuff. Uh, kind of um, an interesting whipsaw there is. So, so let's see, we had Ron Johnson and he left in 13. Then there was a guy, I think there's been two CEOs since then. So she's like the third since Ron Johnson. Yeah, they had the original CEO come back after Ron Johnson. And then they had, um, and I'm, I'm going to say his name wrong, Marvin um, from, from yeah. Marvin. From Home Depot. Yeah. And uh, he was big on appliances. Well, one of the first things that Jill did was yank all the appliance stuff out. So, so you know, it's uh, it's interesting to watch these gyrations as these companies try to figure out what, what they want to be when they grow up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even know you were allowed to just take a pass on offering a guidance. That's kind of. You can. Absolutely. Amazon um, only gives one quarter of guidance. They don't give annual guidance. Um, and it's, it's more the trend these days not to offer guidance. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Um, and so then, uh, rounding out the store closure news, uh, L brands, which is the parent company of Victoria's secret and, uh, um, uh, a bath one, uh, by bath body works. Thank you very much. Uh, I was, I was desperate to say their competitor's name. You're the marketplace guy and now I'm the retail guy. Exactly. I love it. Um, so, uh, they also had a tough quarter, same store sales, uh, in Victoria's secret was down 7%. They announced they're closing 53 stores. And, of course, they've been in the news a fair amount lately for seemingly not being in touch with the their customers in the marketplace or at least being accused of that. So, obviously, they they have a particular image that they try to sell of their customers. Uh, they don't necessarily have super inclusive sizing. They, they 
like absolutely do not have super inclusive sizing of models selling their stuff. And as there's been more backlash to that, the the management team's response has been pretty, like from my perspective, tone, tone yeah. deaf. Like, yeah. even if they have a legitimate point for their brand, uh, they need to find a, a much more elegant way to, measure, uh, to message that. Yeah, at some point you face an existential crisis and you change your mind on this thing. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, feels like or, they're up against that with fifty three or your successors change. Yes. change. <laughs> Absolutely, um, some interesting news in the the kind of delivery category. Um, so yesterday, FedEx released a new robot delivery system, uh, and this one is pretty cool. Uh, a little background: so Amazon, I think it was three weeks ago, they announced uh, that they're also testing a little robot delivery. Theirs looks like a little moon uh, kind of a rover because it's got six wheels. Uh, I think I don't think that they're um, they can like scissor up or anything like that. I just think it gives it really good traction on a flat surface. They picked one perfect neighborhood in in <laughs> like a, a Seattle suburb that has like perfectly smooth sidewalks that yeah. they go on or on Mars. So yeah. those are your two options. Um, so craters and and a sidewalk in Seattle. Um, so uh, out of Memphis, FedEx has re- announced a new robot and it's really cool. It's called Same Day and they partnered with the Segway folks. So there's a kind of a famous scientist, Dean Kamen, and um, most people know him for Segway, but he also, before Segway, he took the same technology that is in Segway that allows you, you know, to, to use gyroscopes and things to create a balancing um, system to create a wheelchair. This has been really huge for, for people that are disabled. This wheelchair can go upstairs. Um, so they're using the same technology for this robot. And in the video, you know, they show it kind of, you know, going through some pretty rough terrain and then it, it can kind of effectively climb upstairs. So really cool video there. Got a lot of press for them. Rarely do you have, uh, you know, delivery on, on things like the night shows, but one of the, one of the Jimmy's, the Kimmel or one of the other guys, they they had it on there. Um, so Really good PR for FedEx. Um, they're going to roll it out in Memphis and then, quote-unquote, other cities, so they haven't announced those yet. They do have a pretty nice list of um, brands that they're launching it with, so Pizza Hut, Target, Lowe's, and AutoZone. Um, and, you know, so this is kind of this interesting last-mile delivery problem um, using robots to do that. Uh, the other interesting thing about the robots that I saw was they're using a lot of autonomous vehicle technology. So these things are connected. They have a, a little bit of a LiDAR camera kind of thing on it. Um, uh, I dug into this pretty good, and I couldn't get a lot of details on that. So I'm going to be interested in this, to learn more about what that looks like because I think there's some pretty meaty problems for these things. You know, Is there a human just driving this remote from a central location, or is it actually autonomous? There hasn't been that I saw a lot of uh, detail on that aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, that'll be interesting. Uh, one I, uh, that we heard a lot about at CES this year is just even uh, a side effect of a lot of these lidars is they they're really bad for cameras. So you could imagine, ironically, the the FedEx robot taking out all the the Ring doorbell cameras <laughs> in a neighborhood could be a little FedEx versus Amazon kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, another interesting thing about lidar is you can shine laser pointers at it and confuse it. And it, you know, um, so you can imagine someone trying to steal a package by confusing the FedEx robot with a lidar. And so it'll be interesting to see what what happens from these things. Uh, but you know, seems infinitely safer than drones and a lot easier to to test these out than than you know having the FAA involved and all that kind of stuff. Um, also in shipping news, a couple of quick ones. Uh, uh, Stamps.com uh, is interesting. So. 
um, you know, everyone knows kind of the front end stamps.com, but the biggest chunk of stamps.com is they went and acquired all the shipping companies that are out there, ship stations, ship works. And by uh, shipping companies, you mean software ven- vendors that yeah. help people ship stuff. Yeah. For kind of like SMBs and like eBay sellers and Amazon sellers, stamps went on this kind of, you know, acquisition spree and has, has accumulated a lot of the large package shippers using the stamps.com software. Um, then they have this connection into the USPS uh, that's called Indeca. Um, they had an exclusive relationship with the USPS and they would effectively get um, sales commissions or I don't, I don't know the right terminology there. Um, they would effectively get a revenue share. So whenever you would buy, you know, $3 for an overnight um, kind of a, a delivery from, from the USPS via one of the many stamps platforms, they would make like a nickel or something like that. Um, they're shipping so many products that ended up being a, a really big kind of part of their revenue. Well, they announced a week ago, they were ending this exclusivity arrangement with USPS um, and you know, the market freaked out, but what was really interesting is reading the tea leaves on that. The CEO essentially said, you know, there's uh, so much going on. Amazon has set the bar at a level. We need to have much higher service levels that we offer. And then there's a fair amount of speculation that, um, you know, this is an interesting, if you were going to go do a deal with, so, so a couple of things you have to tie together here. If Amazon were going to, you know, open up their shipping network for anyone to use it like a FedEx UPS. Um, that's one if. And then the second if, if you wanted to do a deal with them, then this is the first step of what you would do. So there's a lot of speculation that stamps.com is going to be a front end into more of a Amazon logistics kind of solution. Um, and, you know, that that's going to be pretty fascinating. Sidebar, um, you know, I, I've been, I've gone on two road trips. I don't really usually do a lot of road driving. I fly a lot like you do. And I have been blown away by the number of Amazon Prime trucks. So I went on a three-hour drive um, from Raleigh to Washington, D.C., and I literally saw 20 Amazon truck, truck semis on the road. It's just like startling how much Amazon logistics is going on out there. And then in our area, I'm sure in Chicago, we see the Prime trucks. I don't get anything from FedEx or UPS to my house anymore from Amazon. It's all direct Amazon. Um, so they've definitely kind of started trimming out certain zip codes that must have high prime density and are doing deliveries through that that Smile Van program where they have these 1099 networks they've built up. So, so big moves happening under the under the surface in the world of, of delivery. Yeah, oddly, so you won't see the vans as much in sh- Chicago because Chicago was an early market where they built out a uh, in a network of actual Amazon W two delivery people, and so they're they're full time Amazon employees, but they don't use the marked vans. Hmm. Um, so the majority of my packages get delivered by an Amazon employee, um, and one of the easy ways to tell, by the way, is. Uh, uh, if you go into like the mobile app and you look at your orders, when Amazon delivers the package, they take a photo. Yeah, but UPS or FedEx won't. So you mm-hmm. you um, if you have a photo as proof of delivery, then you know an Amazon person probably delivered it. Uh, the the vans are mostly reserved for those those third party companies that uh, that are franchisees of yeah. Amazon fulfillment, if you will. And in Chicago, we have a blend of flex drivers and. And Amazon W two employees, so we don't have as many of the franchisees. Interesting, cool. 
Uh, and then the last tidbit, uh, and this is back into the world of marketplaces, uh, there's a company out of France called Miracle, M-I-R-A-K-L. Um, and just want to send them a shout out. They just announced a $70 million round. And what they do is they go primarily to retailers, but they also work with some malls and a lot of other other places where you can have a marketplace. So think of it as kind of a marketplace in a box. So you can kind of say, hey, um, you know, let's, let's say, I don't know, um, hey, JCPenney, you want to add a marketplace? Uh, here's the software and all the components you need to integrate that in with your existing shopping cart functionality. Um, full disclosure, they're a partner of Channel Advisor, so we're already pre-integrated with them, so we can kind of bring a bunch of sellers along with the software. Um, and then the last thing I actually forgot to put in the show notes is uh, Target. Uh, it leaked that they have a marketplace. So I saw a thing on CNBC that it looks like Target's doing some marketplace stuff, which is, you know, interesting. So these these marketplaces are are kind of, um, you know, we, we I I feel gratified. Talked about them for a very long time, um, and we could only talk about eBay and Amazon, but now we have. You know, copious marketplaces to talk about with obviously Walmart. It's a big part of what they're doing. Uh, and it's interesting to see uh, not only Miracle raise a pretty substantial round of funding to sp- keep spreading the marketplace virus. Uh, and now we have Target. Yeah. So it's interesting to me. It almost feels like a um, uh, a new wave of marketplaces. So you obviously you have the businesses that are fundamentally marketplaces like eBay and Amazon. Um, they're they're uh, they're in the past have been some retailers that leaned into marketplaces. So, you know, Staples talked a lot about it and I still think run one, although you don't hear them talk about it as much. No, they actually closed it down. Oh, got it. Uh, And of course, Best Buy briefly ran one and closed it down. And Mm -hmm. so for a while there was a whole marketplaces are great, but not every retailer can earn the traffic to make a marketplace work. Um, And now for your point, we're seeing, I mean, Walmart's leaning heavily into marketplaces uh, this this new target initiative, Albertsons, is an interesting uh, uh, tackling uh, marketplaces from a, a fresh and frozen perspective, which will be unique. Yeah, Urban then, Outfitter has one. Yeah. yeah, and then for your point, like Miracle being able to raise money means that there's some investors that that uh, think that that's a uh, a trend that we're going to continue to see as well. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I almost wish I had founded some company that made money helping people sell on marketplaces. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, uh, when you're a chief strategy, retail, commerce, digital officer, you don't have to worry about mundane things like that. No, no, no. But keep doing a good job. You may eventually earn another initial in your title. Your, I keep your working job. on it. It's hard. Yeah, it's important to have goals. Um, and with that, uh, we are going to have to leave it there because uh, it has happened again. We've used up all the allotted time for this a special Scott has to get to the airport short edition of the Jason and Scott show. So if you have any questions or comments about the show, jump on Facebook and leave them there. Uh, let us know how much you prefer this much shorter version of the podcast. Um, and uh, as always, if you enjoyed it, we'd love to get that five-star review on uh, iTunes. Thanks for joining us, everyone. And remember, until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 